0: What is going on? (laughs) We have been going through a a year-long Bible study, if you will. In January, we started in the Old Testament, and we finished that just before the summer. And we've been going through uh, the wisdom literature during the summer. And now, today, we begin in the New Testament. And so naturally, we begin with the birth of Jesus. So why not have a little bit of fun with it? So for all those visiting, we don't usually do this on September 7th. This is a little bit of an anomaly. Um, This may seem a little bit gimmicky, perhaps, with the decorations and whatnot, and perhaps it is. But I like to think that it serves a little bit of a purpose. Um, If you're like me, Christmas time is a wonderful time. But sometimes it's hard to experience it as such. When you have the... uh, the consumerist glitz and glamour hitting us from one side, and then we have the sort of over-sentimentalized schmaltz, if you will, that kind of hits us from the other side. Often the message of Jesus gets a little bit drowned out. And then you add to those two things, for many of us, the hectic schedules of perhaps shopping and decorating and family get-togethers and big dinners, and yes, perhaps even the extra church service or two, and by the time we get to Christmas Eve, sometimes we are exhausted. In fact, sometimes the whole message of Christmas just passes us by, and the one that we came to adore seems to have gotten away on us. Perhaps we got away on him. So this morning I want to invite you to be, hopefully, delightfully um, caught off guard as we uh, take some time to spend this morning looking at the truth of what we've just heard in John's Gospel. The word of God became flesh and he made his dwelling among us As uh, as we worked through the Old Testament one thing that we kept coming back to was the fact that the Bible tells a story It's not just a series of vignettes that we work our way through there is an overarching story there of God's love for us and his plan to redeem a fallen world And one thing I love about this introduction in John's gospel is how he takes Old Testament and New Testament and he brings them together. Even the first three words of John's gospel reminds us of the first three words all the way back in the beginning in Genesis. In the beginning was God, was Word, sorry. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. One thing I really love about what John does with word is he's using the Greek word logos. This is the word that we get words like logic and reason from. When the Greeks used the word logos, they would have referred to the spoken word, but they would have also used it to refer to the unspoken word or the word that is still in the mind, the reason. And when they applied it to the universe... They were applying it to the great rational principle that governs the universe. Those are some thoughts when they were using the word logos. Now, when the Jews used the word logos, they applied that to God. He is the reason. He is the one who governs the universe. And so one thing that John's doing that's really cool here is he's using this word that would have captured the ears of both Jew and Gentile alike— And so when they heard the news that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, perhaps both would have been like, What? The reason for all things has come to earth? Maybe we should hear some more about this. And so as John, the disciple of Christ, begins to tell the story of Jesus, he does so by again echoing what has been heard numerous times in the Old Testament. Through Abraham's seed... All nations will be blessed. This is something we kept hearing throughout our time in the Old Testament. John writes, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God Jew and Gentile is welcome to this. Awesome. And now this overarching storyline in the Bible continues. Finally, the seed has come and dwelt among us. This is heralding a promise come true. And John conveys this truth in a way that, again, grabs the ears of both Jew and Gentile. Does it grab our ears today? Does it still grab our attention? And so the question that I would put forward this morning is, in what ways do we stop and consider the message of the Word made flesh, of Jesus come and dwelling among us? In what ways today do we consider Jesus in the manger? I'd like to start by asking to consider the fact that the Word came near. The word chose to come near. In fact, the word chose to come near to us as one of us. And while Jesus in a manger paints a beautiful picture, it also paints a confusing one. In fact, Jesus in the manger paints a picture as intimate as it is absurd. I mean, God came like this? God chose to come near, born of a, of a virgin? What's up with that? God chose to come near as, as the child of, of a homeless couple when he could have come as, as the, the child of a prominent family with lots of influential stature and all of that. God chose to come like this. God chose to come in a smelly manger, in a smelly barn. Because this is not how the King of Kings was supposed to arrive. This is not how the Messiah that was prophesied was supposed to arrive. And while we may wrestle with the question, God chose to come near like this, let us not forget that God chose to come. Period. From the splendor of heaven he came, and while the intimacy of such a move is astounding, it should in no way surprise us. Because the thing is, is that God has always chosen to come near. And again, we saw this as we worked through the Old Testament. God came near to Abraham. Mr. Just-a-guy Abraham. God chose to come near. And he made a covenant with Abraham. That through him, all nations would be blessed. Indeed, saved from their sins. God came near to Moses. And not only came near to him, but revealed to him God's own personal name, or as close as we can come to understanding it, Yahweh. Through Moses, God came near to humanity in a way that had never been seen before in any religion by any God in the ancient Near East. I mean, a God who actually desired to be in relationship with us, that had never been heard of before. A God who created the heavens and the earth simply for his glory. The stars. Remember in Genesis, in the creation story? And he also made the stars. Just like that. But the fact that he made them not as gods themselves, but just for his own glory. Because he could. Astounding. That had never happened before in any religion. A God who would care enough about humanity that he would present to them a way of instruction that would allow them to experience his personal presence as well as be cleansed of their sin. Astounding. That had never been heard of before. And so when people often say, you know, basically all religions are the same, respectfully, I disagree. And I would say, no God has ever come near to humanity the way Yahweh did. No one has ever brought heaven and earth together the way that Jesus did. Jesus, the Word made flesh. He has always desired intimacy with us, and we see it right away in Genesis, all the way through the Bible. It is nothing new. And now in the manger, God arrives in the most intimate way possible. He doesn't come charging out of heaven on a white charger, on a white horse. He comes as an itty-bitty baby. Susceptible to colds. Maybe he got croup. Poor Joseph and Mary up all night because God Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, was teething. We may not think of those things very often when we think of Jesus in the manger. We may think of, you know, little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. All those kind of, oh, look at the baby moments, you know. And I don't think that's such a bad thing as we consider the fact that God came near. This is a, this is a, a good way. The manger is a wonderful way to invite others to consider that as well. It's a wonderful way to introduce people to the gospel because there is nothing daunting about a baby in a manger. Or is there? I I think we actually need to be a little bit careful when we consider Jesus in the manger because the manger is a very safe place to put Jesus. Think about it a baby is helpless. A baby is not going to move unless you move him. He will not be fed unless you feed him. He will not be comforted unless you comfort him. He will not be cared for unless you care for him. A baby is completely under our control. Although the parents who are woken up every night with the teething and the, the diapers and whatnot, you may disagree and I understand. But you get what I'm saying. An infant is completely in our control. What a delightfully tempting place to keep Jesus, to keep him in the manger. That's the kind of God we can handle a lot of the time, isn't it? How much easier for us is it to keep God Almighty meek and mild? And so as we consider Jesus as a baby, as we consider Jesus in the manger, as we look at him, remember this. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Nothing was made that has been made without him. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And this little light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. Swaddled up in this little bundle is the one who was there when the world was made. And now he's here on earth. It's astounding. Astounding to think about. Here in the manger is the life that is the light of all mankind. The offering of salvation to whomever would receive him. God humbled himself. As Paul wrote in Philippians, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And yet here in the manger is not just God made human with magical powers to be discovered when he gets older. Here in the manger lies God, Jesus, fully God and fully human. mind So consider the word made flesh, Jesus, not meek and mild, but full of power. In many ways, this power is displayed in the Christmas story that we all know so well. Throngs of angels appearing and singing to the shepherds. Or a beautiful star that appears in the sky that brings even quote-unquote pagans to come and worship the Christ child. Divine warnings that serve to protect Jesus and his family from the murderous hand of a jealous king. The Christmas story is full of God's power. And yet, if this nativity scene is so familiar to us that all we do is look at it and kind of yawn. If the Christmas story for us has simply become kind of the coochie-coo beginnings of Jesus' life here on earth, then maybe we need to look at it once in a while in a different way. Well, let's do that this morning. In the book of Revelation, John gives a retelling of the birth of Jesus that is anything but boring. In fact, this is about as far from a Norman Rockwell Christmas scene that we could ever possibly get. Here's how John tells the story. John depicts Mary, the mother of Christ, as a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out in pain, for she was about to give birth. Suddenly, a dragon appears. And the dragon appears, as hideous as Mary is beautiful. The dragon appears and positions himself right there to devour the child as soon as he is born. There's an image for you. The child is born and at the last second is snatched away and taken up into heaven and Mary is whisked away from the dragon and taken to safety. And then John writes, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth And his angels with him. And then suddenly in heaven, a hymn is sung. The hymn starts with, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ or his Messiah. And it ends with, But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Can you imagine if we did a Christmas pageant like that on Christmas Eve? Not a single person would fall asleep, I can guarantee you that. Why is John telling a story like this? Why is he telling the Christmas story like this? The humble, intimate arrival of this child spelled salvation for those who would believe in him and it heralded the end for Satan. May we consider that when we look upon the manger? The Word of God made flesh is also the Word full of power. Perhaps this could help highlight for us the first two lines in the Christmas hymn O come, all ye faithful! O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant! O come, all ye faithful, out of the midst of our hectic schedules and our personal agendas, and take in the unending love and victory of our God who comes near to us. May we embrace his one and only Son with great joy and in triumph. Why? Because this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? Amen. We talked about the manger being a safe place, although after this rendition of the Christmas story, maybe we don't think that anymore. (laughs) A safe place to keep Jesus. I think sometimes another safe place we like to keep Jesus is on the cross. Because on a cross, he's not going anywhere, is he? He's helpless. In a strange way, there's almost a sense of control again over him. But Jesus doesn't stay on the cross, nor does he stay in the grave. And likewise, in the manger, he doesn't stay there. The baby grows into a boy, and the boy grows into a man, and suddenly this man is saying all kinds of things that turns our world upside down. It's easy to adore Jesus in the manger. It's harder to adore Jesus when he's saying all kinds of things that takes us way out of our comfort zones, perhaps even deeply offends us. That Jesus is more of a challenge to adore. But it's a challenge well worth taking on. And so friends, in the next few weeks as we look at Jesus as we look at his life and as we look at his ministry whether you are a skeptic or you are a seeker or you are a, a follower of Christ I invite you discover ponder and reflect on yes even wrestle with the one name Jesus the word of God worship team you want to join me. The word of flesh is the word full of power. May he live in our hearts as the word adored. Because it's only out of his great love for us that he chose to come near. It's only out of his desire to be with us that he did so. It's why he created us, so that we might know his love. And while on earth this love was lived out while Jesus taught and while he preached and while he opened the ears physically and spiritually of those so that they might hear the word of God. He rebuked demons, he cast them out and he healed hands and he healed feet and he healed eyes but most importantly he healed broken and lonely and hardened hearts. He raised people from the dead but more than that He broke the power of death. And all that he did then, he is doing now through the power of his Holy Spirit for those who would receive him. May we consider all of that when we look upon Jesus in the manger. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for this, your Son, for your Word made flesh. Come and dwelt among us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift that you gave through your Son, Jesus Christ, of salvation, of life, Lord. Lord, be with us in the next while as we continue to look at Jesus and, and all that he did, all that he does. How amazing this is, Lord God. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to hear your word. To keep it and ponder it in our hearts, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We bless you now as we come to adore you in Jesus' name.